So church family, can you believe that this is our fifth year together? Wow, right? Like time really does fly when you're having fun, but we are in our fifth year, fifth year with one another. And over the course of that time, man, we've seen God do some incredible things, haven't we? We've seen God save people that perhaps you didn't think would ever be saved. We've seen people that were on the fringe and on the edge jump in and be committed and be resolved and to witness God transforming them into the image of Christ. We've witnessed hard things. We've buried people that we love. We've, we've um, went through struggles and sin together. We've faced unfaithfulness at times together. We've looked through the midst of when it seemed as though God was silent and sought God's face together. We've wept together. We've prayed together. We've sought the Lord together. Yeah, it's, it's been a five, five years, but I think all of us would have to acknowledge it's been five years of the favor and grace of the Lord. No other way would we still be standing. No other way would we still be making it. You know, anyone who knows me well would tell you that Iron City Baptist Church is my life's work. It's my life's work. Outside of what I do with my wife, outside of what I do with my children, outside of my ministry to my family, my life's work, my life's commitment, my, my heartbeat is solely, totally, entirely Iron City Baptist Church. So I have this weird thought, and like, I'm just going to lay this on the table. I don't even know theologically how I feel about what I'm about to say. Like, I don't even know, like, really, like, in the, in the, in the Word of God, how all of this fleshes out. All I can tell you is that since I was a teenager, I believe that God engineered me to be the pastor of Iron City Baptist Church. And that seems crazy. And again... I'm not saying that, that that from like God's perspective is 100%. I don't know. I don't know. All I can tell you is that it has been in my mind and been in my heart and been in my thinking for that long. I think I've told many of you before the story when my predecessor announced that he was going to be stepping away. At the time, I was a student pastor of 26, okay, of 26 I had one baby, you know, I'd been a dad for like all of a year, been a husband for all of about five, five, six years, and I woke up at five o'clock that morning, the morning following after I found out, and I drove, and I, I drove to the parking lot of Iron City, and I sat here, and I prayed. And the truth is, is on that morning, I believed that the dream had died. I believed that the dream had died. See, I, 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 in my mind, the timing had not worked out. I was way too young to be hired as the next pastor there, and they were going to hire a pastor that I assumed would stay for some period of time, so I figured the Lord is going to move me somewhere at some time. And so the, in, in my mind's eye, the, the timing was just never going to work out. It was never going to come together. And so in many ways, I came and I was praying and I was praying for the good of the church and for the welfare of the church and for the future of the church. And in other ways, I was conceding a dream, something that I believe the Lord had placed in my bones, something that I believe the Lord had placed a fire in my belly for. 
And so I, I, as you know, kind of went and prayed, continued to pray for the church, continued to pray for the church, continued to seek the Lord for the church. And can I tell you something? That is impossible as that seemed on that morning that God specializes in the impossible. That God specializes in the impossible. That God's specializing in doing things in a way that we can't understand and that we can't see and that we can't predict and that we can't fathom. God says in that situation, watch out, let me show you what I can do. Watch out, let me reveal a little bit about myself to you. I don't need mature preachers. I don't need grown preachers. I don't need 50-year-old preachers. I can use this preacher if you'll just let me use this one. So God has reminded us all, right, that, hey, I am all about qualifications. If you, if you know me well, you know that. I am all about, you need to be as prepared and as ready as you can be. You need to, to prepare yourself in all, but, but you know what the truth of the matter is? Is God there or not? Is God in it or not? Because God has used donkeys before. And God has used 26-year-old youth pastors praying in the parking lot of a vacant church before. But to be honest with you, last year was a year of intense personal reflection for me. Last year was a very difficult year. In some ways, I was still recovering from the surgery that happened at the end of the year prior. We started off the year kind of with a bang, and even though I really labor and, and, and work to not be a numbers guy, as even though we kind of started off the year with a bang, we kind of started, and really it was the first time I'd ever experienced that in my ministry. We started seeing a decline. And so I began to pray in earnest, God, am I the obstacle to our church? Am I an obstacle to you bringing our church to be who you would have for it to be? God, take me away. God, I am willing to go. I am willing to leave. I am willing to depart. Am I an obstacle? Am I too far in over my head, Lord? If I am, would you reveal that to me? Would you show that to me? And would you move me away for the good of those people? And as I prayed and as I reflected and as I saw the Lord, that thought could never settle in my heart. That thought could never settle in my mind as often as I might think of leaving, as, as much as I might pray, God, what does the future hold? What do you want for me to do? All I would see is I would see your faces. I would see your faces. And I would see the faces of your children, children that I want to watch grow up. I would see the faces of, of men who were far from God two years ago and yet seeking the Lord today. I would see faces of people who I know are caring for ailing husbands and ailing wives at home, senior saints that are, are growing and nearing home and trying to figure out and put all of that together. And I would see that and I would just say, God, I can't love anybody like I love them. See, here's what I believe. More resolutely, more assuredly than I've ever told you before in my life that God has called me here to be a generational pastor. The first one in our history. 
And some of you perhaps are disappointed by that. Most of you are probably like me and you're terrified by that. But here's what I believe. I believe that you, as the people of God, should have someone at your funeral that loved you and knew you and wept with you and prayed with you. I believe that your children ought to have elders and pastors that watched them grow up in the Lord. And when it comes to their marriage day, have somebody that can speak truth to them in premarital counseling, having known them for a decade plus. Be able to, to call them to faithfulness. Be able to walk and, and be and receive them as they come down the aisle. I believe that a people needs a, a shepherd that will walk with them through the good years and through the bad years, through the years of, of growth and multiplication and through the years of pruning and hardship and decline. I believe that we've got to be in this together, brothers and sisters. And I'm here telling you as surely as I know how, unless God reveals to me clearly otherwise, we will press on together. We will press on together. But that brings into my mind two great fears that I have that I want to share with you. Because the words that I have this morning are kind of, kind of flowing out of that. The first great fear I have is that if the Lord allows me to be here for 40 years, that I would lead you to unfaithfulness and to greater and greater unfaithfulness over those, that period of time. And I'm telling you, with our pastors and with our elders, we are laboring. We are doing everything in our power to be sure that that is not the case. And in fact, if someone leveled that accusation, I would go to great lengths to show them otherwise and, and to, to show all of things. And we ain't doing things perfect. We don't, we don't have all of this figured out. But I can tell you, with all of the integrity inside of me, we're doing everything we know how to do. We're trying to seek the Lord together. But the second one, which I think is the more immediate threat, the second great fear that I have for our church is that I would lead us to decades of mediocrity. That I would lead us to decades of complacency. That I would lead us to decades of nominal Christianity, just being a mediocre church, doing mediocre church stuff, gathering and, and singing pretty songs and hearing loud sermons, because I'm a loud person, and going and hanging out at Cracker Barrel and being none the wiser for it. <laughs> that we could exist in our community for 40 years and not mark the community in which we exist, not mark the generation in which God has placed us. And I'm telling you, God is my witness. Before I lead our church to 40 years of mediocrity, I will step out of the way for I would just assuredly be struck dead. Church, let me tell you what I think. I think it's time for us to go for it. I think it's time for us to go for it. I think the Lord in His timing, the Lord in His grace has been doing a lot of things over these five years. He's been moving pieces and doing this and bringing this person and, 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 and working in ways that I am sure we are not even fully aware of yet. But I think the time is now. 
The time is now. And it is time for us, by the grace of God, filled with the Spirit of God, all for the glory of God, to go for it, church. And so to that end, I want to share with you a dream. I want to share with you a dream for our church. And I want to anchor that dream as we always do in the Word. So let's start with the Word together. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1? When we turn to Romans, we may very well be turning to my very favorite book in all of the Bible. Sometimes I say Romans, sometimes I say Matthew, sometimes I say Matthew, uh, sometimes I say Philippians. It kind of just depends on what I read that morning. But today, I'm going to say it's Romans. So let's turn to, to Romans chapter 1. We're only going to read verse 16 together, and I love Chris's enthusiasm. Would y'all follow suit and stand with me as we read God's Word together? Amen, Chris. That's excitement over the Word of God right there. All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, God's all-powerful and sufficient word says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You may be seated. So Paul writes the book of Romans, and Paul has not yet had an occasion in which he has gotten to go to the church of Rome. There is a thriving church there, a church there that was initially established by Jews who then reached many of the Gentiles. The Jews are then exiled from Rome, and so it leaves only a Gentile church, and then the Jews are allowed back into Rome. So by the time we, we come to uh, the book of Romans, that has all taken place, and so you have a large Gentile congregation, and now you have a recovering Jewish congregation. And so what we have in the book of Romans is we have Paul saying all of the things that he hopes to go to Rome and one day preach. All the things that he has not yet been able to be there that he wants to say and that he feels like it's important that he say and that they have not yet had the opportunity to hear him say. And as a result of that, we get what is most likely uh, the most theologically rich book in your entire Bible. Certainly, perhaps, in your New Testament. The most, in the, the most loaded and rich theological treatise that we have on any account. He goes into great details on justification and on depravity, on salvation, on evangelism, on the role of Israel in, in the new uh, covenant, and all of those things, and all this rich history. And so he opens up and he says, I want to come and I want to preach to you. I want to come and I want to share with you the, the glory of the things that I've found and the glory of the things that God has revealed to you. I want to come and I want to preach to you. But the verse that we read this morning, that's really the anchor point. That's really the, the main point of what it is that he wants to go and to roam and preach. And what does he want to preach? He wants to preach the gospel. He wants to preach the gospel. Now, I want you to think about what that means in our church culture that we live in now that aims all of its sermons at unchurched people, okay? We think that we come in every Sunday after Sunday and we preach a simple gospel message so that the unchurched people might now want to be in church. But what I want you to notice is that Paul is writing to Christian people. 
Christian people. He is writing to a Christian congregation. And what does he say the subject matter will be of the first sermon that they will hear? And in fact, every sermon they will hear thereafter, it will be the gospel. See, I think in the minds of many of us, we think, okay, gospel, check, got that. Let's move on to some deep stuff now. Gospel, got that, understand that, know what you're talking about, preacher. Now let's move on to something fresh. Let's move on to something new. But you know what, brothers and sisters? Christians need the gospel. And Christians need the gospel every single day. They need it preached from the pulpit every single week. And so I can stand in unity with Paul and say, week in and week out, when you come, I've got nothing to preach except the foolishness of the gospel, the foolishness of Christ and Him crucified. Amen. And so Paul coming, wanting to preach the gospel, tells us a little bit about the gospel. And the first thing that Paul, that we notice immediately about the gospel, about the sermon that Paul wishes to preach is he says that in the gospel we have the power of God. In the gospel, we have the power of God. He's telling us about the nature of the gospel. You notice that in the second phrase there in verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. Now, you may, know, you may have heard this before, you may not, but I think this is a cool point to bring out. The word power there is the, in, the, in the Greek is actually the very same word that we get our English word dynamite. Dynamite. That's the kind of power that Paul is talking about. It, it, it calls uh, Greek scholar A.T. Robertson, who's been long dead now, to come and say that the gospel literally is God's dynamite. That he takes it and he places it in the midst of the hardest heart. He takes it and he places it in the home that is the most shut off and with the doors that are the, close, close, the most closed. He takes it and he plants it in the middle of a mountain that seems as though it is impossible and yet with the gospel with God's dynamite he blows all of it to smithereens and opens up an opportunity for transformation for life change for hope for redemption for reconciliation with God that otherwise would not have been and so Paul says in the gospel we have God's power but in the gospel we don't just have God's power. You see, the gospel mean, it, what the gospel is, is it is God's power specifically targeted. It is God's power that is concentrated and focused upon something particular, namely my and your sin. That it took the very greatest force in all of the universe, the very greatest power in all of the universe to, crea to, uh, to create the world's, to accomplish the world's greatest feat. And what is the universe's greatest feat? The salvation of sinners. The deliverance of sinners. You understand that's how close you were to condemnation. Do you understand? That's how close you were to eternal condemnation. That God could have left you alone. God could have left you in your rebellion. God could have left you in your sin. And you would have been none the wiser. You would have not known the difference until judgment day. Until the day in which you stepped out of this life and into the midst of your condemnation. 
No, for you to be saved, for you to be delivered, for your sin to be overcome, it literally took the intervention of the greatest power, of the greatest might in all of the universe. Paul's talking about this personally here. Paul's talking about this personally here. He's saying, I know that the gospel is God's power. I know the might of the gospel. I know the strength of the gospel. I know the capability of the gospel because I have experienced the gospel. Because I have seen it in me. Remember who Paul was. Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners. Paul was one that had declared war on the people of God, war on the causes of Christ. Paul had committed cosmic treason, him and every other sinner that has ever lived. And yet Paul, the one who was the murderer of the people of Christ, becomes one who is willing to be murdered for the causes of Christ. Paul, the one who is the great persecutor of the church, becomes one who is willingly able to lay down his life and to say, my sufferings in this life are nothing compared to the weight of glory that is to be revealed in the next life. That Paul had experienced a transformation by the intervention of God on the Damascus road that left him literally blind and utterly transformed forever. And so as Paul is talking about the gospel, he is saying, I cannot be ashamed of the gospel for I have experienced and known firsthand its great power. And brothers and sisters, the same is true of us. The same is true of us. You know, I think often as we go through the lumps of this life, as we face the travails, as we look weakness in the eye, as we attend funerals that we don't want to attend, as we receive diagnoses that we don't want to re receive, it's easy for us to wonder about God's power, isn't it? And sometimes as we go through those seasons in our life in which it feels like God is silent, it's easy for us to question God's power. But can I tell you, if you ever find yourself questioning the power of God, the very first place that you should look to be reminded is at your own salvation, at your own deliverance. For God is so great, and God is so powerful, and God is so mighty that He is able to deliver a sinner even as wicked as you, even as selfish as you, even as self-consumed and absorbed as you are. If God can save you, then God literally is mighty and powerful enough to do anything. Yes, you see, the question that I have for us this morning, church, is will you live? And will you pray? And will you act? And will you dream? And will you think as though God's power is with you? Will you live like you have God's power? You know, if we want to just be a mediocre church, if we want to just have a mediocre gathering of people on a weekly basis, if we want to just sing pretty songs and, and hear loud sermons and go about our lives, we don't need much of God's power for that. If we want to just go through the motions and do a VBS thing that we've always done and do a, a Field Fest thing that we've always done and do this thing that we've always done but not really see God come in and transform, we, we can do that with our own intellect. We can do that with our own power. We don't need much of God's power for that. But brothers and sisters, if we want to see a community awakened, 
If we want to see a generation changed, if we want to see the nations shaken, that we cannot do, that we have no power to do, that we are not wise enough to do, that we are not clever enough to do. No, an awakening of God must come. The power of God must fill the people of God and must advance the mission of God. Not long ago, a brother in our church called me on a Friday. And he called me, and you could tell by the tenor of his voice that it was a very somber call. And pastors, sometimes, you know, you're you're kind of accustomed to receiving calls from people in the lowest moments of their lives. It's one of the reasons that God gives us pastors, right? And so this brother calls me, and he says, man, my wife, they've just found a tumor. They've just found a tumor. We go back on Tuesday, and on Tuesday we're going to find out if it's benign or if it's malignant, but they think that it's malignant, and they think that it's bad. Would you pray with me? And we prayed on the phone, and he and I separately continued to pray, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And I, I, I was with Megan in my truck, and I was driving down Chocolaga Road. I remember where I was, and, I, and, I, and, he, and he calls me on Tuesday afternoon, and I'm preparing, and I'm getting my own heart and my own countenance ready to kind of try to comfort this brother in the midst of just sobering, life-altering, tragic news. And he calls me and he on the other line and he, he's very quiet. Usually a, a dead giveaway that this isn't good news that's about to come down. And he says, Cody, it's not there. It's not there. And I said, What do you mean? What do you what, what do you mean? He said, It's not there, man. He said the doctors took one scan and they took this scan and they put them beside each other and they said, do you believe in miracles? Because it's not there. It's, there's, there's nothing to be found. And he and I, of course, we're just celebrating. I mean, we're, we're celebrating like no sane man celebrates, right? And he said this. This is what stuck out to me. He said, Cody, I pray for miraculous things all of the time. But it seems like every time I pray for God to do something miraculous, in the back of my mind, I hear myself saying, yeah, but it probably won't happen. Yeah, but probably not. Yeah, God might could, but probably won't. He said, but this time, Cody, I prayed and I prayed and I put all of my hope and all of my optimism in the Lord. And I said, God, you can, you must, you will. And I just knew, I knew that God would do the miraculous. I knew I had all of my confidence and all of my hope and all of my optimism anchored in the Lord. Church, this is how we should live. This is how we should live. Not with a probably not attitude, but with a probably will attitude. With a certainly can attitude. And bring our, our calls and bring our prayers and bring our passions and bring our dreams in submission to the Lord. Amen. You realize, brothers and sisters, that our God cannot be exaggerated. He's incapable of being exaggerated. That as good as you think that he is, he's better than that. 
As strong as you believe Him to be, He's stronger than that. As gracious as you found Him to be, He's even far more gracious than that. As merciful as you describe Him to be, He is far more merciful than that, brothers and sisters. And so let us dream. And let us dream uh, dreams that are in proportion to the size of our God's power. Let us dream dreams that are certainly within, outside of our region, outside of our intellect, outside of our ability, but all within God's. Because if our dreams are in accord with the will of God, then we can be certain that they will be supplied by the power of God. Church, brothers and sisters, Iron City Baptist Church, let us dream dreams that are as big as our God is. I want you to think for a second of what we could see here. I want you to think for a second of what we could see here. Baptism every single Sunday morning. That seems impossible sometimes, right? Now, now, the Lord has been good. We've seen a lot of baptisms recently. But like every single week, can you just imagine like the servers being extended and all of us being excited about it because there's so many new sinners to be baptized, so many new sinners to be presented to the church family? I have no ability to call a man to be saved. I have no ability to deliver a man from his sin. I have no ability to convict a man of his sin. But you know who does? God does. God does. So brothers and sisters, let's dream about that. Let's aim at that. Let's seek after that. Let's run after that with everything that we've got that we might see someone baptized here every single week. You know what I think we can see here? I think we can see God start a movement. You know, there's worry right now in the, wor in the world of the church that we're going to run out of preachers. That's what, honestly, there, there are studies being done, seminaries doing, doing all kinds of like, like research and books being written, and there's this crisis of no preacher. But you know what I find throughout the Bible? Is there's never been a generation yet without a preacher of God. Not been one yet. God always raises up his preachers. It may not be in our timing and it may not be in our way, but God always raises up his preachers. What if God raised them up here? Why not here? What if God started a movement among the people of Iron City and one day we thought, you know what, like all of Northeast Alabama is pastored by Iron City pastors. Well, why not? Why not? Is God not capable? Is God not able? Can God not do it? What if we had children start leading our mission trips? What, what if we had children that literally would come up here after school and start planning and preparing and laying out activities and putting together logistics and working with Aaron to make sure that, hey, hey, Aaron, did you call the travel agent to make sure that our tickets are secured? Hey, hey, Aaron, did you make sure that, did you get Pat to run the copies that I need for my, why not? Do our children not have the power of God in them? Do our children not have the spirit of God in them? Why not, church? Let's dream big here. You know who I want our church to become over the next five years? I want our church, when you have a crisis in your, in our, when there's a crisis in our community, and when that person doesn't know where to turn or what to do, and, and man, they they've never really even given a thought to the church, they've really given a thought to the gospel, they just know right now I'm hopeless. Right now, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right now, I don't know where I'm going to turn. You know what I want us to be? I want us to be the go-to church for that kind of person. I want us to become so notorious for our love for each other, so notorious for our kindness toward others, that when other people go through life-altering tragedy in their life, even if they don't know Jesus, they know that we're there for them. And we become the go-to church so that we might bring into their life the hope of the gospel. Why not, church? Is our God not able? 
Is our God not big enough? Can our God be exaggerated? I am sitting. No, brothers and sisters. Let's dream. Let's keep dreaming. Let's dream about God breaking family cycles. Let's dream about God raising up missionaries and sending them to every corner of the globe. Let's dream about having a church where the young and the old will be in the same group, the same class together, and treasure every second of it. Let's have a dream, Lord, church, that all of us are memorizing the Bible and delighting in the Bible and walking in the ways of the Bible. Church, that can be us because our God is able. Our God is able. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that we have the power of God and we should live like it. The second thing that I want us to see this morning is that we have God's power and we should be proud of it. We have God's power and we should be proud of it. Obviously the most penetrating part of what Paul says is what? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And for many of us, those are penetrating words, aren't they? They're penetrating because we find in our own lives, what? Embarrassment over the gospel. Jesus comes up, we back away. Opportunities that at the mailbox, our neighbor comes up and he's telling about all the, the stuff in his life. And you know that the answer is Christ. You know that the answer is the gospel. And yet all you do is say, man, I'm so sorry. And go back inside because you, you were too embarrassed and you backed away. Conversations happen in the locker room. And, and, and you have the perfect opportunity to speak up something boldly for Christ. And instead of being bold for Christ, you make just some kind of awkward joke and pass the opportunity away. Somebody at work, somebody in your home, whoever it is, opportunities come and opportunities go. And if we're honest, we let them pass because we're embarrassed, because we're ashamed. And, and it's interesting here that Paul phrases this in the negative, right? Like, like Paul doesn't come out and say, I am proud of the gospel for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. He doesn't say, I am bold with the gospel for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. He doesn't, he doesn't come in the positive and say, he comes and he says it in the negative. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for everyone who believes. You know why I think that is? Because Paul would have been tempted just like us toward embarrassment. Paul would have been tempted toward shame just like you and I are tempted toward shame. Paul would have been tempted to, to disown Jesus and to walk away Jesus. As a matter of fact, as you read through the Bible, it's really quite astounding how often the people of God are embarrassed by God himself. Jesus is literally on the cross so that he can pledge and, and show and prove his ultimate allegiance to his disciples and their reconciliation to God. And as God is, as Jesus is on the cross demonstrating his allegiance to his disciples, what are his disciples doing? Disowning him. Parting ways with him. Telling him, no, I'm not with him. No, I'm not with him. Being embarrassed. Being ashamed. And so here Paul comes and he makes a declaration. He makes a declaration that he has overcome his embarrassment of Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says. How? He goes back to that personal experience thing that we talked about earlier. 
How did Paul overcome his, his shame of the gospel? How did Paul, in situations in which it would have been easy for him to, to cower back, easy for him to back down, remind him, what did he preach to himself that enabled him to step up in boldness, to step up in power, to step up in gospel pride? He pondered the gospel in his heart. He pondered the power of the gospel in his life. He pondered what God had done in him. And he, as he remembered how God had delivered him, as he remembered about what the gospel had done for him, as he remembered how the gospel had transformed him from, from, uh, from persecutor to man willing to die for Christ, as man who was wicked and man who was now in delight, man who was in misery and now lives in hope, as he pondered the gospel's power, he said, man, how can I be in of that. How can I be embarrassed? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, even me. Even me. As, as, as he goes on throughout the book of Romans, Paul is going to talk a lot about adoption. And he's going to use adoption as kind of an anchor point for us to understand our role in the gospel. Basically, God comes down, sees us in poverty, sees us in hopelessness, and adopts us into his family. He obligates himself to us, even though we have nothing to bring to him. We are orphans. We are, are bankrupt. And so he, he, he's going to say in Romans chapter 8, For we did not receive the spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, but we have received adoption as the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That is Daddy, God. And as he brings that into our mind, I want you to think about what that means. Have you ever met a child who was adopted by loving parents who is then ashamed of their parents? Have you ever met that kid? I haven't. We have, we have families right now in our church, praise God, who are going through the processes of adoption. And man, it's a self-sacrificing, self-denying process in which they are obligating themselves to love a child who has no chance at love otherwise. And we have, we have adults and teenagers and children in our church right now that are here, and they're here as a result of somebody else doing that. And you know what every single one of them always do? Man, this is what I was born into, but let me tell you about who my mom and dad are. Let me tell you about who my mom and dad are. Let me tell you about the, the mom and dad that brought me into their home. Let me tell you about the, the mom and dad that, 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 that gave me a life that I didn't deserve, a life that I didn't seek. Let me tell you about them. They're always proud of their mom and dad. See, that's the effect of adoption. Adoption doesn't bring shame towards your parents. It brings love it brings pride. It brings admiration toward those. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, who has experienced a greater adoption than we have? Who has been rescued from a greater poverty than we have? Who has been delivered from greater hopelessness than we have? Brothers and sisters, let us not be filled with embarrassment toward our God. Let us not be filled with shame toward our Father. No, let us be proud of God. Let us be proud of God. The greatest need our community has today is for a powerful church that is proud of God. The greatest need that our community has today is that they would have in it a powerful church that is proud of God. Proud of who God is. Proud of what God has done. Proud of what God is capable of then doing. Church, will we be that church? 
Will we be a church that is proud of God? Will we be a church that is proud to talk about him at the mailbox with our neighbor? Will we be the church that is proud to talk about him at the football field and in our high schools? Will we be a church that is proud to talk about him with our spouses and with our children? Will we be proud of God? Don't you think about that? Because you see, the church holds the key to the world's problems. Have you ever thought about that? Right now, in Mountain View, there was a young couple that woke up and they have no idea how their marriage is going to get through today. No idea. T today, in Grandview, that there was a young mom who woke up and she feels in total despair and depression. And she doesn't know where she's going to turn. She doesn't know what she's going to do. There's a dad who has worked and worked and worked and earned and earned and earned and saved and saved and saved and bought and bought and bought. And yet today he feels totally purposeless, purposeless and aimless in his life. And he doesn't know where to turn. But you know who knows? We know. We know. We have the key to the world's problems. In church, it's time we started acting like it. Yeah. It's time we started acting like it. Why would we be embarrassed when we have the vaccine that the world is looking for? Why would we be embarrassed when we have the solution to the problems that they're asking? Why would we be ashamed? See, I want you to dream. But I don't, I don't want you just to dream about yourself. I don't want you to just dream about your future. I don't want you just to dream about the future of your family. I want you to dream about the future of others. I want you to dream about the future of your neighbors. I want you to dream about the future of your coworkers and your teammates. I want you to dream about the future of the people that you walk down the high schools of White Plains and Cleburne County High Schools with. I want you to dream about the futures of the people that you meet at the family reunions and at the awkward Thanksgiving lunches. I want you to dream about their futures because you have their hope in your hands. You have the power of the gospel in you. Will you live it out in gospel pride? You see, we spend so much time thinking, what if they reject me? What if they neglect me? What if, what if they humiliate me? How often do we actually stop and think, but what if God saves them? What if God saves them? Yeah, maybe they reject them, but what if God saves them? Is he not God? Is he not God? Can he not do all things? Can he not step in the midst of the darkest sin and in the midst of the most hardened sinner and place his dynamite there and blow away a rock-hard heart? Can God not do that? What story do you want to tell? I backed down, oh God, because I was afraid of rejection. Or God, I went, I trembled, my knees shook, but you showed up. And God, look at the daddy who he is now. Look at the husband in that house now. Look at the generational chains that have been broken now. What story will we tell, church? What story will we tell? Dream. Dream about who your, who your neighbor can become. Dream about who your mama and your daddy can become. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to bring salvation to all who believe in him. Live like you have the key. With God's power and by God's grace, 
our church must not fail. We have God's power. We have God's dynamite. He has given us his grace. And church family, I'm telling you, we cannot fail. We cannot fail. Our community needs us to step up to the plate. Our community needs us to rise up to the challenge and to put to death all of our inconveniences and to put to death all of our excuses and to put to death all of our reasons for not speaking and not going and not doing and to put all of it down and start living as though the power of God is actually in us. On July the 28th, 2013, I preached my candidating sermon to be your pastor. It was not a very good sermon. But I preached from Revelation chapter 2 on Christ's letter to the church of Ephesus. And I said this, God is happy to let powerless, complacent, dispassionate churches die. Church, I don't want to die. I don't want to die of complacency. I don't want to die of silence. I don't want to die of atrophy. I don't want to die of inaction. I don't want to die of unbelief. I don't want to die in underestimating God. No church, I want us to live. I want us to live in Christ in abundant joy, telling the story of things that we have no ability to do. I want to live and tell the story of kingdom advancement and of God's glory and what He is able to do when a church will just surrender everything they've got and run after Him with all of their hearts. Church, I don't want to die. I want to be a generational pastor and I want to take a baton of fire and hand it to the next generation and tell them run forward with God's dynamite and blow apart your generation too. Amen. And I'm telling you, it's time for us to go for it. It's time for us to go for it. Now that means changes are going to come. It means that there are going to be things and you're going to be uncomfortable and it's going to feel weird because change is weird and change is uncomfortable and change is hard. But I'm asking you, as somebody that loves you more than you probably can even understand. If it's not in disagreement with the word of God, would you trust us? You're going to be tempted, tempted to, to say this is silly or this is just another thing or this is just another fad or this is just another phase. You might even be tempted toward being divisive. And I'm asking you, when that happens, when you, when you feel that temptation rising up in you, would you remember the dream? Would you remember the dream? Would you, would, you, would you give us the benefit of the doubt to say, I don't get this, I don't see this, I don't right now really like this, but I know that they believe this is what's best for me and this is what's best for our church. And I'm telling you, our pastors and our elders before God will do everything that we can to seek the Lord and to seek Him earnestly and to not do things that are trivial and not to change for the sake of change, but only for the sake of pressing on toward the dream that God has given to us. Would you give us that benefit of the doubt? Because brothers and sisters, it's time for us to go for it. It's time that our community has a gospel-centered church that is proud of the gospel and holds the key to their, their problems and is willing to go and tell them about it. Go and live like it. In closing today, what I want to do is I have written out word for word the dream. I'm going I'm to print this eventually and I'm going to give it to you. In, in your bulletin today, you'll see five-year goals. If you question about how difficult changes can be and how, whether or not changes are coming, look at what our five-year goals are, and you know we've got a ways to go. You know some things are going to happen. 
exciting things, I'm hoping. But I've got a dream that I've been asking leaders in our church to pray through every day. I'm going to print this in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to give it to each one of you in your bullets, and I'm going to ask you to begin praying this for our church, to let this dream guide your prayers for our church, because it's not going to be us who does it. It's going to be the Lord in His might, in His power, and in His grace. But I want to close today by reading this dream. You can read it silently on the screen, and I'm going to read it out loud. Our dream is big because our God is big. Our dream is not exaggerated because our God cannot be exaggerated. Our dream is possible because with our God, nothing is impossible. We dream of seeing every lost soul being found, that people of every age and every generation and every race would experience the perfect love of our Heavenly Father and the abundant love that is found in Christ. We dream of the baptismal waters stirring every week with the testimony of a sinner who has been washed clean and a church family that loves and disciples them for the rest of their lives. We dream of becoming a refuge for those who have been wounded, damaged, and discarded. We want to show them the same perfect love, patience, and understanding that our Heavenly Father has shown to us. We want to connect them to a true family of believers that will pray for them, live life with them, and bear their burdens. Our dream sees wounded lives being healed, dead hearts being made new, and helping every person uncover God's image in them. We dream of equipping, every, equipping all believers to enjoy an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to enable each believer to discover God's personal design for them and provide environments and avenues for them to express, develop, and multiply those gifts for the kingdom of God. We dream of them delighting in the spiritual disciplines and thriving accountable relationships so that each person will grow in maturity and godliness. We dream of raising up a generation of worshipers who worship both in spirit and in truth. They will not worship God with their lips and ignore Him with their lives. They will not condemn their generation or shame their God with silence. They will be living sacrifices, giving themselves in word and action as an offering of worship to the slain Lamb who is worthy. We dream of investing the Word of God into the hearts of all peoples and seeing them reinvest that truth into the lives of everyone they know. We dream of seeing all schools, workplaces, and homes becoming teaching centers for the Word of God and temples of praise by the courageous witness of God's people. We dream of parents discipling their children, fathers leading their homes and churches, and families reaching other families. We dream of an intergenerational church family that demonstrates the gospel's obstacle-obliterating power by the way each person loves and invests in one another. We dream of influencing not just the current generation, but every generation that follows. We will take responsibility for our church and our community for such a time as this. We dream of God, by His grace, raising up pastors, missionaries, and leaders from within our fellowship. We dream of being a church family that God uses to shake the nations from every corner of Calhoun and Cleburne counties to the very edges of creation. We dream of sending out reckless disciples who live as willing martyrs and work as joyful slaves to the calling of God. Our dream is our expected and hoped for reality. It is the focus of our prayers and the craving of our souls. Our dream is too big for us, but together with God, it can be realized. May our dream be God's will. And may God's will be even greater than our dream. Let's pray together, church.